Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott of VectorSigma.info. And Scott, I I missed out on $20 Omega Supremes. I'm very disappointed. Huh? Uh, oh. The the toy Omega Supreme. Yeah, they, <laughs> I know you, I'm sure you were thinking of the card and know that those parts did not skyrocket out of nowhere. There wasn't some super secret tech found. Yeah, there was uh, a... I didn't know there was a Hasbro warehouse. I mean, I, I'm going to say close, but it, it's really several hours away. So that's why I didn't bother going out there. And they really only had it for 20 bucks? Yeah, it's one of those... Apparently, this is a thing where it's like, okay, they just need to clear stuff out. So they were... They were uh, allegedly $20 for as long as supplies last, among other things, but obviously among the Transformers groups. That was the primary focus, we'll say. Oh, I know. Although I did get a new toy. I had cause to go to the store, and I picked up a G1 Starscream reissue for under $10 hairs. There you go. So I'm excited. I may or may not be uh, unboxing and playing with that as we're talking. But anyway, enough about the toys. Uh, We're here to talk some cards. So speaking of cards, the events don't stop. So uh, like we talked about last time, there was a PPG event in good old Las Vegas recently. Um, yes. So, unfortunately, I did try and make an effort myself to, to watch as much of the stream as I could. Unfortunately, it seemed to just be the reality of the situation that there are some technical difficulties. So, there are points where the stream was cutting out or, or different stuff. But if you refreshed it, it was mostly fine. I'm sure the VODs will be up at some point. I, I guess they're loading them to their YouTube channel. Do you have any uh, I idea? Know, to be honest with you. I have no idea, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, but among the... <clears throat> excuse me. Among the things that happened, well, there was... We didn't have Daring Escape win, which was the uh, the big thing that I think everybody was leery about, given that it has had a resurgence post-Energon Invitational. Uh, had a lot of attention post energy invitational. Well, I'm, I, I don't know. But. Well, I would call it a resurgence because it was. I think a lot of people considered it dead in the water. I guess. Um, now, I'll be honest. I actually missed the finals, which is part of the reason why I wanted to try and catch up on the vods. Scott, can you? Do you know exactly who and what won? Uh, the airstrike, uh, like the Adam Bixler deck from top eight one. Okay. I think he played Shockwave in the finals, but I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure he played Shockwave in the finals. Well, there were two Shockwave decks, so I did go through the deck lists at least. Um, now, these are in no particular order, but there was, uh, I guess we'll call it a Nemesis deck. There were a couple Shockwaves. There was the, the Daring Escape. There were multiple Airstrike builds, both the one you're describing, as well as uh, one running Grimlock. It looked like there was Galaxy Prime. Um the, I thought it was, if and again, these are for the screenshots that I think you actually posted of yeah, yeah. handwritten deck lists, so I was squinting a little bit to try and make out what it was, but it looked like it was Galaxy Prime, Flame War, Fireflight, I think. Oh, maybe. Okay. Um, I could be wrong on that, so apologies to everybody out there. I wanted to give a shout out to the winner, but again, I'm having difficulty reading well, the names and stuff. So I feel, I do feel bad. Um, I'm sure somebody will correct us, but shout out to uh, the individual who took down the whole event. Um, did anything, I mean, there was a wide variety of things from both a build perspective, card choice perspective. Uh, within the context of Energon Invitational and then immediately following this event or this event immediately following it up the following week, Anything jump out to you along those lines, Scott? No, I, I just don't think there was enough time in between events for it to really matter all that much, and the turnout wasn't um, enough to, like, I think, really take a whole lot of stock in. So I'd agree um, with that. I mean, I mean no, I'm not, I'm not discounting it or anything like that. I oh, of course, that, of course. I just think that, given the nature of it, I, I don't. I, I think a lot of the same decks that were run by. Um, the same people, like I think, uh, I think Ian, the guy that finaled in Energon Invitational, I think he top eighted this. I think I saw. 
Uh, Ian um, Wall is here, and he was running the. Yeah. It looks like a very similar, if not the same, build that he played at the Invitational. He had some improvements to the battle deck, which I think were mm-hmm. needed. Um, and otherwise, it was pretty much just uh, with like pretty standard builds across the board. Maybe a little bit differences here and there. So, like to me. I don't think anybody tried anything all that differently. I mean, some of the different airstrike patrol lists mm. interest me a little bit. Like, like the one that ran Grimlock seemed interesting. I just think you're losing a lot by doing it that way. But yeah, I could see I that. Mean, overall, I thought it was pretty decent. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing I'll say is I, I would have liked to have seen it just cut to a top four, and then maybe like I would have under like that way we could have maybe isolated a little bit more as to what actually would have topped because some of you know, no offense, but having a 500 record and getting to a elimination round isn't exactly. Yeah, that can that definitely does influence things. And uh, so, Dan, I see you in chat correcting me. It's Jake who ended up winning it. I apologize, Jake. I can't read your last name on this. So, <laughs> shout out to Jake for for taking it down. My apologies that I I, I guess my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. So. <laughs> You're woefully unprepared. I am. Uh, I, I apologize, everybody. Um, but it, it, like you said, I, I can definitely echo those points that, yeah, it since it was on the smaller side comparatively, certainly on the smaller side in comparison to the Energon Invitational, like you said, the turnaround time of trying to – and there were a number of people, including Ian, like you said, that had, I guess, got right back on a plane and went to this event as well. I don't know if it was – in their backyard so to speak but uh credit to them that they were they turned around and jumped into another major transformers event you know back to back essentially i would have loved to have been able to but uh, real life dictated otherwise (laughs) we'll put it that way yeah i would probably give myself a couple weeks break but yeah agreed um so it i agree with you a lot of the the lists seem to make sense of course we could drill through all the individual card choices and you know thumbs up thumbs down on different fronts but i think for the most part you can see the logic behind why particular cards were included but like you said i'm not sure it was really a direct or directly influenced by what happened at the invitational it was directly influenced. I mean, we haven't even dove into those lists. So I don't mm. see the point of diving into a, mm. a, a thing that's, I mean, almost, it, honestly, almost 10 times smaller. So, yeah. Almost literally. If we're going to dive into anything, I would probably dive into that, which I think we're going to do today as well. Spoiler alert. Right. So. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> going to, we're definitely going to get into it. I didn't include all the deck lists, although those, those would have been significantly easier to get on screen simply because, well, the, the whole online submission and the way they deployed them out. Um, right. But I, <clears throat> as far as the PPG event, I know you had mentioned you were going to try and make it to the championship in, or try and grind in, I guess, to the championship in January. Any other thoughts on this particular event? I know you said it, it's, I don't want to say expected the way a lot of things shaped out, but for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the only, the only thing I'll say about the PG, PG event in general is just that there are, uh, you can run qualifiers at your store. So like we have one coming up, for example, in a couple weeks. Um, mm-hmm. and that way you can try to avoid having to grind in or anything like that. So take that opportunity if you can, it's $50 for a kit where the where top two players, uh, qualify and you get some, I have like these dice in my house sitting right next to me <laughs> and this lander that you mentioned before so yes. um it's just a good it's just a good opportunity to have um a i guess you could say more important local event over the next month if anyone can right. make it to uh, orlando and i know that they're finalizing some of the prizing structure for um for orlando because i know some people have asked me mm-hmm. um because i guess because of our relationship uh but I, I'm not really at liberty to discuss that publicly yet, but I hopefully by next show I'll be able to talk about some of that. But awesome. it's, it's definitely, definitely they're definitely in, in the process of doing more than they were expecting to. So that's all well, that's saying. good news to hear. So yeah, we can definitely look forward to that. Obviously, I'm sure all the official PPG channels will be uh, 
getting that the word out to everybody as well as soon as it's yep. they're able to. Uh, <clears throat> one thing I wanted to touch on that you had mentioned was as another, we'll call it significant event, air quotes, in you have something to play for again. So it did, and we mentioned other times in other shows that there was a feeling as the EIQ season was winding down that it was, all right, well, I got my cue or I'm already done or whatever, I don't want to say excuse, whatever the reason is, uh, that events started to lose population. Mm -hmm. This gives you that same thing where it's, okay, there's that excitement. There's something on the line to, to go and get, and it's not just more product or something along those lines. It's all right, I'm playing for a qualification so that I can go to this other major event, which adds some more excitement and enjoyment to everything. Yeah, and in response to that, I know I've again I've talked to some people offline, so I'm just gonna echo what some of the, the sentiments were around the I, I, I don't want I guess the quote like lateness of when you could do this and compared to like when you actually need to decide whether or not you were gonna go to Orlando. So I mean to be honest with you, most flights to Orlando are just cheap just because of how often the I was go there. actually okay, not to break your train of thought, but so after everything was announced, my wife and I were talking because she wants any excuse to go to Disney World that she can right, get. Right. She's is she still in Fair. chat because she she's gonna say something if soon as, yeah, she's still in chat, she'll say something in a second. So she's always looking for an excuse and she's like, All right, you go play cards, I'll go to Disney World basically. Um and I was actually floored by how cheap the tickets can hypothetically be i mean obviously there's a number of factors but i was expecting a significantly more expensive trip than we were estimating yeah so that's very positive for people that want to go but I, but I, but i but the the sentiment that you know can you know there's been discussion like you know can we have these qualifiers last a longer period of time you know can we qualify longer next season things like that i think the only the only thing i'll respond to that with is that um, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I think what people need to understand is even though the Transformers um, PBG finals are at the same time, there's only been, what, like three chances to get into it besides the LCQ system. So mm-hmm. I really believe that the, the kit system that's running um, is in response to the other games as opposed to um, as opposed to Transformers. So I think like, I think... What do you mean by were, that, Scott? I'm not quite following you. So I think there were 10 or 11 chances to qualify for like Dragon Ball or Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm. Like the other games that are also having their championships at Orlando at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think, it, I think those games, I think them having the kits be only available for a month makes more sense. And I think they're just following oh, the I, same model with, with Transformers. I follow you. That makes sense. I mean, it's season two right now, so I'm – and this is me literally making things up, but obviously there's still information gathering going on, right? I'd assume there's still – you know, what is next year going to look like? And <clears throat> maybe things change. Maybe they don't. I That I have no insight into. Yeah, like my suggestion is going to be a, a balance between the how do I say it free for all nature of Energon <laughs> Invitational qualifiers and yeah. the the I don't know strict nature of the PPG qualifiers, like something in the middle of both, where maybe like you know you could run them in the area once a month or something like that, something that's more formalized that maybe we can just do for us because mm-hmm. I believe as long as as long as the support is there to actually run uh, the qualification system, I think they'll be amenable to different ideas that we have that may be more suitable to a to the player base that we have in place. Of course. I mean, the big thing just with both this as well as the official channels, and even if it's a different third-party one, it, another circuit or or even your local store it's always of course important to show the support you got to be at the events to show that there is a enough of a community to support whether it's more or larger or whatever yeah i think the, the key is going to be depending on I, I think we can make this into a mirror image of 
maybe not price structure wise, but mirror image from a qualification standpoint to what is being done for the Energon Invitational. And so right. if we, there is an opportunity to run more local qualifiers for just this game through the kit system, mm-hmm. um, it might be something that we can turn as community into, again, just trying to have that grassroots system not necessarily have to be supported by the mothership and, and it's and it's you know by Watsi and its cohorts to run exactly and and those sort of things are i think because we've talked on the show a lot about how many people coming to this game are new to the competitive gaming scene or games in general and this is one of those where i'm going to say something that may seem obvious to people that have been around for a while are you cracking packs scott are you cracking all those energy what was that? I'm cracking, I'm cracking top loaders, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not as exciting. Um, no. So what I was going to say is that it, it's probably going to seem obvious to people that have been around for a while, but those these sort of things where you have a third party setting up these events and then you have the official first party circuit or seasons or whatever you want to refer to them as, it becomes symbiotic as opposed to directly competitive because then each event helps feed the others and build excitement for people to get their feet wet at one and then okay well i can just go to this other one or if you happen to have back-to-back tournaments there will be another one the following month of a similar level so you you get more chances and it i guess the the underlying sentiment is going to be that the community as usual is going to be in the driver's seat for a lot of this if you want it to continue, you want it to grow, get involved, even if it's as simply or as simple as showing up to the events. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any other thoughts about PPG you wanted to throw in or, or Vegas or leading up to the championship before we move on, Scott? No, just know that there's a lot of potential there and I'm doing my best in order to, you know, if you if you agree with my ideas as to how some of this stuff you, we think it should go, just drop me a PM and I'll definitely take it into consideration and pass it on to uh, to the organizers. But I think that there will be the ability to influence what goes on. So definitely feel free to drop me a line. Those of you that I talk to on a regular basis, or even if I don't, uh, feel free to reach out. Yeah, it's good to have the, the additional perspectives because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's customer feedback sort of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we'll close up that one. Moving on from the PPG event, we're... I really was struggling. That that's not a word. What I was about to say. I was really you're, struggling. I was. You're, I come- you're struggling to get out. The word <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling to to get that going. Yeah, I was. I was going to say trouble and struggling, and that just didn't work at all. Uh, <laughs> because what I was going to say is, I was really trying to find a trouble with tribbles sort of uh, alliteration for like the problem with spheres to, to make something cutesy to lead into this. And I, I couldn't think of anything all day. So I, we're just going to say, we're going to talk about spheres and the overall siege to meta. Now that we've had multiple major events. And I know you had a whole lot of thoughts from the events and otherwise Scott about this particular topic. Yeah. We're using spheres, not because I think that it, that, that it, I haven't even thought about necessarily, and I'm sure it'll come out during this conversation. Like I haven't necessarily even thought that, about whether or not the theory still even holds true. I'm pretty sure it does. But it's really just a way to organize things into categories because I don't want to talk about 25 different decks and things like that. Like, it's just easier to yeah, say what belongs and where and go from right. there. Right. At the baseline. Yeah, at the baseline, they if you have a three-wide aggro or a four-wide aggro, they, they roughly function in a similar capacity. Of course, they have their own quirks. But to your point... It, it, We'll be here for a 45-hour episode if we try and go through every deck and, and highlight every single thing. So I mean, we're, we're here for that long just to have, talk about two decks. So yeah, exactly. Let alone, <laughs> you know, talking about all that. So. so the diagram that's up here is a simplified version of the one Scott had created way back when, <laughs> I guess a few months ago now. Um, could, it, could it be more? Could it be more complicated? I mean, let's be honest. Well, I mean, I was trying. <laughs> so I mentioned to Scott offline. I was trying to set up more of a Cartesian plane and try and create like a flow where it's what I was picturing in my head is, you know, every NFL season, inevitably whatever terrible team that has never won a game until late in the season. And then they see somebody goes, see all the teams are even because they have that giant circle where it's like terrible team, a beat terrible team B who beat terrible team C and all the way around until it's, you know, somebody beat 
whatever the undefeated team was also. Sure. Like, you know, those, like, I don't want to call it a meme, but, like, those things. I was trying to see if I could set up something in a similar fashion to explain this, but then you don't get the cross of the, uh, you know, like, things on, we'll call it opposite ends of that circle. So, bottom line is we're back to this diagram because I haven't formulated a, a better way to represent it. Fair enough. If it's not on the Red Zone channel, I don't know about it. So. Okay. Well, the, the, these are usually passed around on Twitter and stuff, so... <laughs> sure. Um, but anyway, so the diagram up there is just a real basic one. The only real departure from what Scott had created previously is that the arrows are now pointing towards the, the good matchups, as opposed to, I think you had it the other way in my own brain. I just... I would always forget it and then remember it halfway through and then confuse myself, and I gave up after a while. So that's why I redid it. Um, it's really just a tool to keep the conversation organized. It doesn't have to be the theory. Oh, I know. Well, I'm explaining it because if anybody's watching this on YouTube later, that's why. Um, now, notably, there are a few things missing from this. So I excised Metroplex because there's always that caveat. <laughs> so as always, couch the conversation with Metroplex in the periphery. But I also intentionally did not include combo. There's a few, the... Uh, the mixed pip build, similar to what you were running at Gen Con, Scott, those don't make an appearance here. Uh, there's a few things that I thought we're going to cover anyway. So, since as the originator of this idea publicly, can you, where do you see this fitting? Where do you see the, the pitfalls as it pertains to the Siege 2 meta now? Um, I think the decks are more, uh, adaptable now than they were in the past as in like the good matchups aren't quite as good and the bad matchups aren't as bad or how do you mean adaptable uh i think that there are certain i think some of the green cards available to in the meta are powerful when they're more defining so you can actually like for example like you leaving off mixed decks i think is to discuss because hmm. so many decks nowadays are mixed hip and can utilize different colors effectively that um, you wind up with that anyway, even if you consider them to be in one of the archetypes or spheres as it is now. Is there a particular deck that you have in mind, just to highlight as an example? So, like, if you look at a lot of the Airstrike Patrol decks, for example, like, they mm -hmm. may slant one way or the other, but they're actually able to, to pull double duty, so if you look at the greens as almost the off-color nature of wherever you started, so if you look at the aggro version and say, the greens are, quote, also blue, or in the opposite, if it's a blue airstrike and the the greens are, quote, also double oranges in this <laughs> yeah. case, um, you might have either a, a smattering of the off-color or just greens that actually help you in combat, and so therefore, like, you're, you're pulling the double duty from the, the mixed pip versions that existed in the past um, just by doing that. The other thing is, you know, it's very easy to put in, like, just, you know, like, it's very easy to continue to play Sparring Gear as your number one uh, armor in, in a blue deck, for example. Right. Um, or, or even, like, the Galaxy Prime deck that we ran had a smattering of orange. So it seems that even in, or even, like, Shockwave decks will run, like, Terrifying Resilience or something like that. Like, it's very easy to run off-color cards and not necessarily put yourself into even like a what we would call aggro control sphere that existed in the past okay so that's that's where i think that like you're seeing just more blending of i'm gonna run the best cards i possibly can as opposed to I'm going to slant myself in direction on purpose and only keep myself there, if that makes sense. Does it, do you feel it's a power versus efficiency standpoint? I guess power being the, the battle card effects versus the efficiency of, okay, well, I just have these pips. I mean, I've always been on that sense, to be mm. honest with you, like personally, but, uh, but on the flip side, I think that, I would always lean on the side of the more powerful card to begin with, but I do believe that by nature, you're just able to blend into those colors 
easier because I think some of the some of the characters and some of the some of the decks themselves are just more I don't know like flexible to even allow you to do that where you mm-hmm. it just might be smarter to play the more powerful um, option as and also some of the cards that have come out are just so powerful that are either like white or green that don't necessarily blend themselves into the 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 normal blue or orange choice i think allow that to happen as well like javelin mm. or or like you know for example like if you look at like a tank stack for example like it's not going to not run hunker down right um and then some versions have even gone as far as to run a lot of the marksmanship hovercraft type things as well but still be a mostly orange deck right so again like a lot of decks in general i feel are just going with the what is my most powerful option and how can I make up for that fact with a battle deck that helps me? And and certain cards help that situation again, like the airstrike patrol will help that, or characters having ridiculous amounts of hit points will help that. Right. Things like that. So. Well, let me ask you this then. So do you feel that as a result of whether it's airstrike picking up greens or some of these other examples that you're throwing out there, that it's quote unquote keeping pace like the, the power level has increased you've mentioned multiple times and i agree with you that siege 2 has introduced a lot of powerful cards whether it's characters or battle cards do you feel that these things are just keeping pace with the relationships because all these cards are so powerful or do you think it's really shifting relationships between some of the spheres i think it's keeping up with the relationships and i think it's actually widening the gaps to the what was that, Scott? You were breaking up a bit. I said, I said, I think it's not only keeping pace, but I think it's actually widening some of the gaps that might have existed in the past. Oh, so the the earlier point that I was saying, it, it's not necessarily that it's it you're winning your good matchups harder, as one way to phrase it, as opposed to closing the gap between those where it's creating more parity between specific matchups. Yes, but. If we get into it, that requires you to build some of these ver- you know, decks within the spheres. I don't want to say correctly. I just mean build them with specific good- outs. Where you're no more like where your good matchups remain good, for lack of a better term. Like mm-hmm. like again, like, like we talked about, in the- building a three wide control deck and not playing the range package, and you're going to have issues with wide aggro. So right. if you walk away from this and you're like, I'm just going to not run all those cards and why am I losing to what Scott says is a good matchup. There's a reason for it. It's because the deck has to be built with some of these things to start with in mind. Right. These relationships that you've constructed between these different matchups, of course, have underlying axiomatic assumptions as to you're running specific cards or you're following a specific play pattern, like general play pattern, not necessarily a script in order to accomplish whatever the goal happens to be. Because I, I was going to ask you for an example, but I'm glad, I mean, obviously you were going to bring up the, the range package piece. I mean, that's, that's, it's uh, almost a requirement. It's almost a legal requirement at this stage, but uh, <clears throat> it is, I think, one of the more illustrative examples in that, yeah, you can throw away games as a blue deck against orange ones if you don't happen to shrink the number of turns required by either getting somebody out of combat or just you know chipping them down and i think i think the metagame at the energy invitational bore that out so i think i think a lot of and and i'm sure we'll get into this but i think a lot of the blue decks that are out there might have just done an assumption that they were going to be okay in some of these matchups and they weren't yeah (laughs) certain aggro decks you know rose to the top and as a result you know, for example, there were a decent amount of wider aggro decks represented in the top, probably, I would say, probably, like, let's just call it top 48, as in the people that were fighting for top 32, mm-hmm. um, especially in the last couple of rounds. They might not have been there in the end, in, like, the top 16 or top 32, but they were definitely in contention for it. Yeah, one match either way could have changed. Yeah. So, like, they're definitely still a big part of the metagame. Mm-hmm. Um. So I would definitely, you know, try to understand and why it were or were not successful. So. I think we're we're getting to a point when people in general seem to be recognizing that 
you really do have to respect certain things. I mean, the, and we'll talk about this later when we really dive into combo, but I think many people got their first taste with Daring Escape, not necessarily about combo, but just about the idea of there's this deck, I need to specifically include certain cards to respect it to be able to put up mm-hmm. a fight against it. I mean, that's always been true, and obviously a lot of people saw that before, but it's just such a poignant, shining example of, yeah, if I don't have this thing, I lose. And I think... I think it was... Yeah. good. I think a lot of it was like, I'm not... I refuse to lose to that. Right, but where I'm going with it is that if you walk that back to less obvious things, such as the blue decks into wide orange without burn... Like you said, it, a lot of people may have just gone in with the assumption, or maybe they thought there wouldn't be a lot of aggro, so they intentionally removed those cards so they could fit in whatever else uh, that they felt would right. be more appropriate. But then that's a conscious decision, strategically, that I'm going to sacrifice A for B, as compared to the other option where it's you just assume that it always beats up on it, but you don't quite grok why that is the case. Uh, yeah, I also think that there might be some over or understating of how effective certain things might be, despite whether or not it's just for a good matchup or just for a bad matchup. But I guess that's, that's a personal decision as to whether or not you feel you want to overcompensate and things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that, that's always part of it. That's (laughs) almost a definition of trying to determine the metagame and how to appropriately address the metagame is are you overvaluing and we've talked many times about inbred testing and other things that could impact to you know influence your opinion of like royal you of a given card or a given strategy it's based on the data that you're seeing is it is that information actually accurate and that it's always the hard part yeah i just think we yeah, and we can talk about it, but I, I think we kind of thought that certain people would find certain cards so powerful that it would drive certain things in or out of the metagame, and that mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily the case because of whether it, whether it was discovered or agreed upon understood at, at, by the community at large, I guess. Well, I mean, again, that's always going to be part of it because you can discover something in, intensely powerful, but the fact that other people come to a different conclusion and then it drives that circular analysis Mm -hmm. ends up causing weird, potentially weird things to happen. So if everybody out there is following what we're talking about, I know that sounds really vague, uh, but the bottom, the point being is that you can end up having conclusion a, everybody else comes to conclusion Q and then that's going to drive whatever further down the line decisions you have as you're building on it, and you end up in wildly different places. Yep. Um, so one of the things that had come up as part of that piece of discussion was also the fact that combo is missing from the given chart here. Where do you feel that it fits in, or, or do you want to give us what you're def- would define as combo before we even get that far? So I think I think anything using anything going through a series of actions in order to win the game on the back of you know a, a combination of cards. I don't know for lack of a better term, but whether right. it's whether it's using it's self-explanatory. Daring, I know I I ask the impossible. <laughs> whether it's using daring escape, whether it's using like you know we saw an EMP wave during your end step, whatever phase that is deck, we saw a. A number of overwhelming I guess I would, advantage, but I think I would consider the like if you. I think if you look at the top eight sideboard transformation of overwhelming advantage, I would put that more in the combo category than I would the shockwave over advantage, overwhelming advantage, which I consider to be more of a control deck with a. I don't want to say a combo win condition, but just a giant direct damage ability that like isn't that also continues to fit with your strategy because you're able to delay the game longer. So it's just using this giant powerful card but i don't think it's necessarily a combo win i think you can just win by the way shockwave would normally win i think that 
again, for lack of a better term, falls into the surprising wind condition category and not that's not intended in a derisive way. It's just your opponent probably doesn't expect that you're playing overwhelming advantage at a shockwave. But so that's where the surprise comes in. But I agree with you that it's not the entire strategy is not focused on doing that. I mean, I, I guess it kind of is post board, but you could win outside of that as a normal course to the gameplay, whereas a lot of these other combos would probably, they have to go out of their way most of the time, I guess. Would yeah. Be the, the line in the sand, it, it's going to be kind of arbitrary. Where, so I'm going to call in some magic terms here, but it, there were archetypes, like I distinctly recall playing Food Chain Goblins for a while, which was an aggro combo deck, which is kind of what I would claim the newest iterations of Daring Escape are or can be because at certain stages you can just go, well, I'm going to load Fire Drive onto Springer and go nuts uh, and just do a billion as opposed to trying to combo off. Now, it, it's not quite in the aggro category as compared to the, the magic example I'm using, but I think some of these transformational shockwave things, some of these other builds that utilize overwhelming advantage can fit in control combo, which there are plenty of examples of that uh, in other games, Magic included. So it the lines start to get blurry when you get real close, but um, I hope everybody out there listening and watching you know, gets the general idea of where we're going with it. Yeah, agreed. Um, so to the original question, where do you feel... I mean, it, aside from whether we think it should exist, whether, you know, these things are healthy, all that stuff, because that, that horse is, is a, a bloody mess. <laughs> um, where do you think they fit from a strategic perspective? Because it, it, it clearly messes the whole thing up, at least to some extent, right? No, I think it's. I think it would be a line that points to having an advantage over... Um, three wide and four wide or three three wide and larger control mm-hmm. and struggles against insert aggro deck here right. um, because of the nature of how they actually operate now giving your opponent more turns they're more vulnerable to larger single attacks especially that can happen like immediately yep so um i would probably put them more there but they definitely have an advantage over the control decks which if you Rewatch our interview with Drew. I think that's the intention of why they exist. Um, and it would logically make sense. In the, in the, sense, in the yeah. current, in the current, that's why they currently exist because of the mm. the pendulum swing towards. I don't uh, know control. if they. I know I interpreted it from a number of the article, official first party articles that were put out by the Watsi team. I don't know if they like explicitly said it in those, but it. it if you read, go back and read the articles, or like you said, Scott, if you go back and listen to the interviews, and even other people's accounts, uh, like I think Blaine, the the person who was playing Daring Escape at the Energon Invitational, I think he said it in one of his write-ups, because he has several at this stage, that exactly your point, that the intent is to be a check on the... I'm just going to lock the game down and and wait till turn 5,000 because my guy is gigantic wall-up sort of strategies. It's like, okay, which is, good. Yeah, which is similar to what the overwhelming advantage decks do as well. Exactly, yeah. So I, I can see why they would fit into that same sphere. And I, I agree with your assessment that that's kind of where they seem to fit because it's if the aggro decks can pressure them enough, then the bottom line is you you may not have enough time to assemble it. Whereas the control decks clearly, outside of generally they're they're one giant bot, they're giving you all the time in the world to to get whatever concoction rolling. Correct. Um, <clears throat> so I think future iterations of this diagram and and the discussion on spheres are of course going to include that. Uh, were there any other parts related to combo specifically you wanted to bring up, Scott? No, I mean, I just wanted to look at the decks that were there at the, the Invitational and talk about where they might fit into this. So, I mean, like that—that that was definitely there. That definitely showed up. So, it's more of a—it's more of a question as to um, it exists. It needs to be added. It needs to be respected. Um, mm-hmm. And I—I I, I don't have all the answers as to how to officially answer it because I haven't played against the later iterations just mm-hmm. as efficiently. But um, 
yeah, just know that it, its main purpose is all in all likelihood to be an answer to control decks. So just keep that in mind. Now, it one thing that I'll I'll harp on for a moment that it, coming in because of the aggro and control, I think are easier to to just mentally get in general. And then when combo comes into the picture, and obviously Daring Escape, for example, is attacking on a totally different axis than with intent, obviously, to how everything else does, that respecting it isn't necessarily defined as, oh, well, I'll just board turbo board and I'll be fine. That's not always true. Like the, the combo player can fight through that or whatever your particular hate card of choice is. It may be similar to how you're playing four wide aggro. If they're a three wide control deck with burn, you're going to have a bad day. And there may not be much you can do about it short of an entirely transformational sideboard. Or if you're playing three wide aggro and it's some other bad matchup. Point being is that you may just have to treat that particular sphere as you would any other. And maybe it's just, I hope to dodge it at this particular event. Maybe I don't have enough experience to know that, but you, you, you. It's definitely if it, you know, you're right. I mean, if it's if we're going to call it its own sphere, then it would definitely fit into that strategy. You can just, you know, uh, ignore it. I guess. Yeah, it, which is I'm not recommending that, but yeah. it's one of those that you're not going to be able to build something that accounts for literally everything in all scenarios at all times. And at a certain point you do have to accept that, okay, this is a bad matchup. I need either things to break my way or my opponent makes a mistake. And that's part of, and I've said it in previous tournament reports, like from Gen Con, it sometimes outplaying your opponent is just not making any mistakes and letting them screw up when they're the favorite. So it's not like, the most foolproof strategy, but sometimes that's what you've got. Yep, agreed. So, um, so outside of, of combo, and I'm sure we'll circle back to it at some stage, but what else stood out from you that feels like it, it needs to update this particular theory? Because right now, it, although we're adding this additional sphere, uh, there's maybe one other that I want to bring up, but I think that a lot of these things, as we observe them to be at the Energon Invitational and then at PPG Vegas, a lot of these things seem to kind of falling in line with what we thought. Obviously, within the realm of variance, where if somebody makes a mistake or the cards just break a certain way, you know, like you flip really poorly, you could lose a game sort of thing. But for the most part, it bore out the way you'd anticipate. Were there other ones that shifted the paradigm? Were there other ones that stood out to you that that blew a hole in this, Scott? No, I, I think it's just understanding what the top dogs are and what you should be aware of in them now that, that was different than before. When you say the top dogs, you mean like the best decks in a given sphere, or you just mean in general the best decks in the format right now? I guess those are synonymous. Yes, I don't know what answer you want me to give there. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I realized I finished the question. I realized that it was probably, you know... Um, well, are there, what else did you have in mind for that, that stuck in your head from the Energon Invitational? I mean, I just wanted to look at the decks that did well <laughs> and, and, and put them where they belong. Talk about the ones that were powerful. In the well, that's what I'm trying to pitch to you. Give me one that, that you had, Scott, <laughs> and then we so can talk. Pick a sphere and I'll tell you what's in it. Okay. Uh, we'll just go, we'll. And we didn't really see a whole lot of too tall blue stuff that I recall, unless you did. Quantity-wise, I'm saying, because I know what you were going to say. <laughs> no, only on the sideboards. Right. I mean, there there was, uh, at PPG, there was the... Uh, was it a PPG? There was a, there was a Jetfire Aimless deck, I thought. Oh, yes, that is true. That, that performed well. So that, oh, yeah, I guess, it, fits it. It, it. it went... It had the highest record during Swiss. So yeah, yes, it seems okay. Out. It seems yes. like it did all right. Um, now, we obviously have our own Jetfire build um, that, that's a little different, but do you feel that there, that that's a gap at this stage to Tall Blue, that there, there's more experimentation to be done there? Um, I would want to... 
I, I know he has a tournament report out there. I, 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 need, I guess I would need to study it more carefully to understand how mm-hmm. his matchups went against certain strategies. I do believe that some of the... I think it will struggle more than... Th- I mean, we. I've always thought it will struggle more than a three-wide control deck would against a wider aggro deck, especially with the way that some of the wider aggro decks now are more heavily leaning on... I guess just being aggro than they were. Yeah. They can they can definitely expose you like to your earlier or our earlier discussion because of the power level of the cards. You can you can expose a deck seemingly much more easily. Yeah, and again, I need to read through his matches, but I would assume that he he was able to to beat a lot of both three wide control and three wide decks. So I, I'm not surprised. And then I think ultimately he lost to, I don't know what he lost to in the top eight. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure of the breakdown as to how we ended up with the finals that we did. I'm very curious. I To this point, I haven't seen anything posted as exactly how that broke down. Yeah, that I mean, that is one that Jetfire himself is just very powerful against Shockwave. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably where a lot of the wins came from. And like I said, it's also very powerful as a two wide with a battle master against like tanks and other three wide aggro decks. So I would guess if that was most of his matchups and it still has enough in power to beat certain wide aggro decks. I just would be weary of taking it going forward, seeing what now I see the, the wider aggro decks transforming themselves mm. into. Oh, Dan's jumping in. Hey, Andrew, <laughs> thanks for stopping <laughs> by. Um, it, but Dan's jumping in. He said he lost to Ian, our eventual winner, who uh, runner up. Or runner up, excuse me. Um, so yes, he, he said, lost when he, he he lost when he went too tall, right? Mm, that's what I'm assuming. Yeah. He said he lost to Ian yeah. in all three board games. Yeah, that's exactly what I would assume would happen. Right. He won the first two on board. That's what I assume. Would yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because because the deck the deck doesn't have a when you start too tall you can't go three wide so like yeah. You just have disadvantages there. Exactly. So as soon as, as soon as he went to Battlefield Legend with uh, General Optimus from Siege One, he had virtually no chance to stop two giant attackers as one defender. Exactly. Yeah, and it, yep. like you said, logically that would it makes sense that it would break down that way. Um, so as, aside from the the obvious strategic disadvantage, like you said, because of the way sideboarding works, it sounds like. It, it could be a thing. Obviously, it has performed well, but you're not expecting that the next breakout thing that everybody's going to discover is going to be too wide? <laughs> discover? Probably not. No. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so moving from there, we'll we'll keep talking about blue stuff. What about three wide blue? There, there was a sea of Octones, allegedly, uh, in a number of different rounds. I know I played against some again in uh, the Energon Invitational. It didn't appear that he was making too much of a splash in Vegas, but what are your thoughts on on that particular sphere? Um, unsurprisingly, it's the most was the most popular sphere like played. Um, as a most populous, yes, right. Uh, so, and I think it has the most number of decks that were out there. Um, mm. I can't. I can't. I didn't play any three wide tones. I mean, I had. I mean. We had one, and we knew we had some patrons to play our list. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, and it was released out there. So I think that it was played. I don't know. I don't think they did very well in the end. Um, people just said they were out there, but I, where they came from. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like you have your Galaxy Primes, you have your Octones, you have your Shockwaves, uh, you have your Jetfires, because there were other people that were playing through my Jetfire as well. I think those are probably. All and I guess there were like there were still bad Battlefield Legend decks. Out I was there about too. to say I'm I'm <laughs> confident there were Battlefield Legend decks, not because I saw them, but just because it's it's old faithful. I guess at a certain point, uh, I'm very curious. <laughs> given the the time of year and the workload it would probably entail, I'm curious if we'll see another statistic breakdown from the Wizards team regarding everything that's there or was there. Uh. Should be easier with the electronic. Uh, I would think submission. so, but, yeah. uh, but it is still, you know, I don't know what their 
vacation sort of thing. So I don't want to ask them. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So like you said, it's going to be the, I mean, part of the game design kind of lends itself to making this, whether it's orange or blue, that it's the most populous set of decks. Do you feel that like, this is where we're at? Like the, the best things are going to be here, at least right now. I mean, I'm always going to say this is the best things to be at regardless, but, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think yes. I, I think the meta. I think, I think the meta game has lent itself, and then the cards have lent themselves to where this is the most powerful place you can you can start at. Um, Shockwave was clearly since the banning of Press the Advantage was the most powerful control option coming out of the Siege One meta. Yep. Um, and it got enough tools to deal with uh, its its predators in. Siege 2 as well. Again, I think the major decision that every single deck within this sphere needs to do, and it's obviously the hardest for Shockwave to do, is decide whether or not it, how many, how many, and if, if and how many range cards they're going to run to keep themselves ahead of the wide aggro matchups. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the character composition of, I would say, probably the Shockwave lists are the, I guess with the exception of Octum, because I, I, I can only tell you what I think I like best. But mm -hmm. since since there is nothing defined yet, um, and that's a range character anyway, I, I just think Shockwave <laughs> has the most has the most ability to change the lineup to suit or not suit that strategy, whether or not you choose to play it or not, whether you should lean on it more, um, etc. But obviously, if you don't lean on the range package, then you're going to be weaker to your aggro, wide aggro spheres than you would normally. But I believe, like, your Galaxy Prime and your Jetfires, I don't, I don't think, I don't personally feel like it's possible to lose to some of these matchups um, over a series of, like, 100 games or something like that. Obviously, Scott, you can have bad draws. Scott, there. There, where there, there's a will, there's a way, and I find it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I I get your point that yeah it's uh the advantages afforded by the latter two decks you were talking about it does make things start to feel sort of hopeless from the other side of the table depending on what you're playing. Yeah, and I think what the advantage of these decks has in such a in such a way is just the massive hit point totals that now have in addition right. to all of these being able to um supplement themselves with like energy pack and right. in the case of galaxy prime like three energy packs so even if you aren't drawing necessarily as you need like range cards to keep up with some of these wide aggro decks mm -hmm. you can literally just ignore certain attacks that are coming in because you have so many hip it's like that attack level. yeah it essentially didn't matter so, it, it's interesting because i do recall distinctly talking with a lot of people i don't remember if we said it on the show or not but a lot of people Way back in wave one, we're saying, oh, if only these characters had just a little bit more health, a little bit more defense, a little bit, you know, a little bit more longevity. Well, we're seeing it now and it, it I don't know, I'm having more fun with it, to be honest, <laughs> with the characters living a little bit longer. Yeah, it's definitely, you're you're not on the knife's edge all the time like you used to be back mm -hmm. the the early parts of the game. Um, but again, I, I, I still feel like you... The main decision you need to make is what cards are you going to take with you? What lineup are you going to take with you that's prepared for certain matchups? And again, like I don't like to discount my quote easy matchups, so like I'm more, I'm always going to lean mm -hmm. on playing my deck in a way that's going to right support that. But I think I think what you can do now, though, given given a little bit of a known meta, is kind of adjust yourself in your main deck and maybe supplement yourself a little bit more in the side deck to account for something that may have been a, an easier matchup to try to own this sphere. Because honestly, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily known which of these current four decks mm -hmm. should be on top. Um, I mean, obviously I have my own biases, but I, but I actually believe that they kind of, it, it like it's kind of like a box within it like it's it's like the snake eating its own tail or whatever like each one sense. has advantages over another one and like you always wind up back in the circle 
So it a lot of it comes down to play skill, a lot of it matchups. Um like I believe, for example, obviously that like I believe Galaxy Prime has the the best matchups of all of them if you were to take one each one individually, but mm. I think each one of these decks honestly like maybe with the exception of Jetfire can probably be adjusted to make themselves stronger against um the others. The nature of Jetfire and the partner the, the limited number of partners that actually bring table actually gives it less room to be able to be right right like it's not as adjustable it's just powerful right um, and that is that's a so. a reasonable trade-off on both the the power and flexibility front as well as the matchup front that you're talking about and as you were describing it i'm thinking in my head like this for me sounds enticing where it's very much all right these are at least right now obviously pending future testing, future information, whatever, that if they're all viable roughly within certain degrees of each other, you do have the ability to say, all right, well, I like treasure hunting for five, or I like having five billion health, or I like having this feature or that feature, you know, like mind twisting people on two sounds fantastic to me or whatever it happens to be so that that way you can, you can Pick up a deck, learn it, hone your skills with it, as opposed to, okay, well, if you want to play 3Y Control, here's your deck. You you just play this. And I, I prefer this scenario, even if it does add some uncertainty, both playing it, you know, what matchups are you doing, and then from the outside attacking it of, well, what's everybody going to pick? Because you may need slightly different answers against it. Yeah, I think you have to play so many games with some of these matchups to really understand how certain things play out. I mean, and mm-hmm. there's also like the, there's also situations where literally like, you know, a single card in within your 40 or 50 card list can change an entire matchup. And literally, well, especially in something like Jetfire. I mean, yeah, yeah. that just makes yeah. sense. Or I but guess in Optimus yeah. too, where you have 50 billion health and you just live forever <laughs> and you'll eventually see it. Right. All of these decks give you options to, to see extra cards during the match that like, playing certain one-ofs and getting to them is not unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And I think it really comes down to, uh, you know, and I, I need Dan's deck tech on the, on the deck is already out and some of the changes he would make and things like that. So mm-hmm. I won't speak the deck we ran because he, you know, there's already a full deck tech out, out there and it's right. Right. It's, it's, it's his thunder to talk about, but um, there are easily, four to five different battle card changes you can make in order to make yourself just better off in certain matchups. Now knowing that I believe that this sphere that we're talking about should be public quote, public enemy number one. If you're going to another, if you're going to a major event, um, but on the flip side, not everybody leans to want to run these types of decks. So just be aware. So, right, right. I mean, you, again, we're repeating the same phrase, but you're going to have to respect it because while yes, it, people may not like running this thing, but the, if you go to a larger event, it's not you know your local six to eight person thing where you might know exactly that that guy is going to run aggro tanks week in and week out, come hell or high water. Uh, it, it, there are going to be people playing Shockwave, Jetfire, Galaxy Prime, whatever. Like it, they're going to be there, so you got to be you got to at least respect it. Yep. Um. So let's close out the the blue half of the diagram with the wide blue stuff which at this stage is it just aerial bots no i think the, i think the air the airstrike patrol uh, uh nemesis deck would also fall into this category right. although yeah that was more rhetorical it, to lead the discussion yeah. <laughs> it, it it mostly is it mostly is. i mean uh, like i still believe i still believe the poster child i guess for this for this sphere um but I do mm-hmm. believe that that Nemesis deck falls in this category as well. Um, although a lot of what makes it interesting to me is the transformation sideboard. But I do believe even the main deck and the way it looks should fall in this category. Right. So did, it, given the context of that, we got the oldie but goodie in aerial bots. We have the, the new kid on the block in this Nemesis airstrike build. Does anything change here? Is it still functioning in roughly the same way? Previously, it was it was kind of beating up on 
a whole lot of stuff in game ones, and then it required, at least in the case of aerial bots, specific sideboard answers to really flip matchups on its head. Do you think that that still holds true at this point? Um, I think you're worse against the more streamlined wide aggro decks. Um, it seems to... Again, I, I would like to know what matchups have played against, because I, I haven't played with the deck, no, and I've only seen, obviously, in one top eight matchup, but it mm. seemed to um, struggle as expected, which is, against singularly big if it can't take out the singularly big control character. I, I think that this sphere suffers against... Scott, are you saying that if you don't kill their guys faster than they kill yours, that you're not going to end up well? It's not no, going to end think, well. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think the three-wide threats too large now for the sphere to continue to have an advantage i think you're correct but again my sample size of it is i mean other than the observed games a whopping one game so um well i, I mean my, so our sample size between two of us and watching dan in the top eight is three then going three oh because i right. beat aerial bots and you beat aerial bots mm-hmm. and i dan beat this Right. So I so I so I believe I, I just believe that you know the, the the concept of point all your direct damage at the big guy, especially in the aerobot case, I think just isn't you aren't fast enough anymore. That was to do that. Yeah, that was a point I wanted to bring up because there was it's not aerial bots and it was not the Nevis airstrike, although it was airstrike and other large guy or a number of other configurations that leading into Energon Invitational, I was trying to come up with things like this and a lot of the strategies did if you you know reduce it all the way down were point everything at their important guy and cross your fingers and hope you get there but if you think about it if your guys are doing we'll assume you your combat step is null and void for the most part because they're little guys without alpha bravo specifically or something like that they may not do any damage turn in and turn out Mm -hmm. you got to play 10 plus plasma burst effects to get there. And that assumes nothing else. You know, like that's just a lot of cards, even assuming you see all of them and you have nothing else important that needs to be played. It's just, like you said, it, it's a large mountain to climb and it, it, <laughs> climbing Mount Everest is challenging. Yeah. Where somebody like galaxy prime can just suit himself up matrixes and get the same effect. Exactly, but but more consistent and have finisher already in place. It's turn right, yeah. So, as opposed to needing to assemble it in some of these cases. Yeah. So personally, I just think this sphere is suffering right now. But mm. I mean, I do find the airstrike patrol nemesis deck to be interesting because you can get nemesis rather large by having so many attackers. I think it provides it solves some of the the issues we were just discussing. <laughs> Right, so at least on paper, correct. So, so if if he survives all the time because you're busy dunking around with the little guys, mm. you may be in a situation where you're like big hitter with blue versus big hitter with blue, and theirs is constantly getting bigger, and yours may have already topped out. So right. that's where I would look. I, I'm not sure, and I'm sure Dan would disagree on in some ways, but I, I personally feel like the aerial bots might be on the shelf and then of course just to couch all of this it's not necessarily that it's a forever thing for any of these as, as since we i was doing the uh you know super high level to the point of being so vague as to be useless discussion earlier about certain things it's one of those some of these spheres their strength will ebb and flow based on given card pools what the popular meta is, because again, like our earlier point, you could identify the best cards, quote unquote, the best deck. And if nobody plays those cards or decks, it'll influence what your matchups are. So even if the the aerial bots are on their way out for reasons one or two, that doesn't necessarily mean that we won't see a resurgence later on. No, I just think it's it's important for all of this to understand why things are happening and the, mm-hmm. the conversation around 
pointing all your damage at a 14 point hit point guy is a lot different than pointing all your damage even a 17 let alone a 20 yeah or so, or 29 plus <laughs> right yeah. it's just not it's just not this like i i, I had a game I had a three energy pack prime against an eventual superior and mm. hitting me for pierce damage every turn. Let me tell you that that didn't go well for them. So yeah, it, it, that's kind of how it bore out for me as well as just all right. You got your pierce damage, but I'm doing more just plain damage over your defenses. Or I had matrixes and still characters left alive, and you just can't kill all of them quickly enough. Yeah. Um, so any other thoughts for the, the wide blue sphere or any of the, I, I guess that's all the blue spheres. Cause <laughs> I'm there's, I guess, hypothetically, these are one tall blue decks because the other no. characters are somewhat speed bumps. Are we going to go that far? No, it's certainly three wide. For- right. Right. Um, uh, Dan's in chat and he's saying uh, put the aerial bots on the shelf so I, I guess he isn't really disagreeing with you and we're actually going to close up shop there folks just for this portion that is we're going to dive into the more aggressive end of the spectrum in the next portion of this episode but as always thank you for listening thank you for watching and please tune in next time for more Tech Talk <laughs>